And hello, folks, and welcome back to another edition of Amateur Hour, a News and Observer College Sports Podcast. I am Andrew Carter, and I cover the University of North Carolina Athletics for the News and Observer. And I am Laura Keeley, and I cover Duke Athletics for the same fine publication. And Andrew, it doesn't often happen that you and I are at the same event on our respective beats. No, but that's on true. Wednesday night, we will be sitting right next to each other in the Smith Center. Oh, boy. Nine o'clock tip. You might have to, like, you know, kick me under the table to make sure I'm still awake there by the second half. It's, I'm uh, so excited to be covering a game with you, Laura. <laughs> it should hopefully be a good game, though. No, it should be a good game. And actually, you know what? This game looks more uh, intriguing or interesting. I mean, a Duke-UNC game is always, uh, you know, a big deal regardless of the records. You can throw the records out the window, Laura. It's too bad people can't see my air quotes here. Like, you know. Arguably the 1995 game, that double overtime game in Durham, that's probably the best Duke-UNC game of my lifetime. And that was a year where Duke was 0-whatever in the ACC, 0-7. Yeah, there there have been two good ones recently, just not to get on a huge There have. Tangent. Last year was good at Cameron. The overtime game overtime. at Cameron. Yep. Yep. Austin then, Rivers uh, game a few years before that yep. was a good game. Yep. Um, but it looked like before, I guess, Duke beat Louisville last <laughs> week. Last Monday. There was certainly a lot of – reasons to question the Blue Devils and kind of what direction they were headed and kind of was this going to be, you know, maybe even a, a NCAA tournament bubble team, perhaps, the way things were trending there for a while. And two big wins last week for Duke against Louisville and then Virginia over the weekend. And all of a sudden, this Duke-UNC game, I feel like, looks a lot more interesting than it did. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. You know, it was uh, the, begin- the beginning of February, I believe February 2nd, when Duke was at Georgia Tech – Mike Krzyzewski opted to uh, stay behind in Duke Hospital. Well, by opted, I mean was forced by his doctors to go to Duke Hospital. And, yeah, you were looking at that game against the Yellow Jackets. I think Duke was only favored by two. And if they would have lost that game, then you would have had full-blown NIT speculation for that team. But Duke pulls it out against Georgia Tech thanks to the revival of the man-to-man defense in the second half. Mm-hmm. And then Duke beats NC State in a game that was close. It, it was close. It was, you know, a one-possession game. With, if Cat uh, Barber doesn't get hurt, you know, that could have been even closer down the stretch. Different game. But that was the first game. Oh, that was the first hurt. game. But That's no, right. he, he – um, Oh, that, yeah, the second game was close. Yeah, it was a one-possession game with uh, about three minutes and 40 seconds left. And, you know, Duke was able to, to close strong in that one. And then, you know, go on to beat Louisville, beat Virginia, and all of a sudden you have a Duke team back in the AP poll and one that looks strong and looks like it's figured out how to play without Emile Jefferson. you got to work on your uh, your Louisville there, Laura. It's not Louisville. It's Louisville. I think it's up for debate as to how you want to say it, right? Oh, well, true, uh, true Kentuckians will tell you it's Louisville. Are you from Kentucky? No, but I know people. Okay. I've heard people from Kentucky Okay. pronounce it. Okay. Louisville. Okay. Well, I, yeah, that, I kind of messed up that one. Okay. But moving on here, Laura, uh, to me, one of the more intriguing storylines of this game tomorrow night, and this is something that I just brought up with Roy Williams. I don't think he was very happy that I brought it up. Well, we can't all be happy <laughs> but, all the time. Uh, but obviously, you know, Brandon Ingram has had a phenomenal freshman season at Duke, especially since, like, December. Absolutely. You know, he went through some of those early season struggles that a lot of freshmen sometimes go through, but has really been a fantastic player for Duke. Uh, Especially in some ways, I think, has exceeded even expectations, perhaps. 
Yeah, that he I had think that's fair. His freshman year, but this was a kid that UNC desperately wanted and went after for three years. Yep, recruited him. The Kinston Pipeline. Yeah, the Kinston Pipeline. You know, Reggie Bullock, being from Kinston, went to UNC. Before him, Jerry Stackhouse went to UNC. Kinston had kind of been known as Tar Heel territory. Sure. Yeah. And so early on in Ingram's recruitment, when he was just kind of you know coming up in high school as a freshman and sophomore. Seemed like this was going to be another kid that goes to UNC, that UNC gets on early, and that winds up going to Chapel Hill to play for the Tar Heels. And again, UNC really, really wanted this kid. He spent a lot of time on UNC's campus, taking unofficial visits, going to games, went to a ton of UNC home games. And of course, he winds up picking Duke. There were some circumstances involved, which I think is one of the reasons why Roy didn't really want to talk about it as much. Obviously, the NCAA cloud... It's dissipated a little bit, as Larry Fedora said during his recent football signing day press conference, but it's still there. Sure, and it's it was there in a big way was, last spring yeah, when he was, was bigger, making his decision. Right, it was a bigger deal, I feel like, last spring because it seemed like perhaps there was going to be uh, an eminent action in this case. Like and It could be like a ruling between then and the season starting. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe out. Brandon Ingram kind of caused a little kerfluffle, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And misspoke in a radio interview that, like, Roy had told him that nothing was happening or something like he, that? Uh, okay, what it was, yeah, it was before Ingram Before he had It announced. was probably about, I, I want to say that was like three or four weeks before he announced. Mm-hmm. And the, the story that came out was something like Ingram intimated that Roy Williams had seen the notice of allegations. Right. Or that he had seen the, quote, allegations and, or something. And this all rose basically to made a level it, yeah, made it where seem UNC like, had to issue a statement that, like, he was wrong, basically. Right, right. And, uh, yeah, and because I was <laughs> – yeah, so thanks, thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Brandon, so says, you, says the fine folks at UNC. You could have reminded Roy Williams of all of that. Right. But yeah, that was, that, I forgot about that. There was some drama there because there was a lot of just confusion about when UNC was going to receive this notice of allegations. And finally that happened in August. And then they restarted the or no, clock. It restarted the clock in August. They received it in May. Yeah. They received it in May. Yeah. Then they had 90 days or about and to reach the end of that 90 days. And in August, that's when UNC submitted the new info. But yeah, that was some controversy um, back then. But you have to wonder, it's a fair question. And there's no real great way to get at it at this point. But, yeah, it's a fair question. If UNC had not been dealing with this NCAA situation, would Brandon Ingram be playing for UNC right now? I mean, I remember when we went to Kinston for his decision. Did I say that right? You did. Okay. Uh, his announcement. And we had some really good food afterwards. That we was did, just, yep. That was place that? has been on the, uh, the Travel Channel, I think. Yeah. Or I the can't. Food Network, either one. I can't remember what it's called, though. It's the finest restaurant in Kinston. I'll, when you start talking again, I'll Google it and get back to our fine readers. But anyhow, and he, that, was, that was a big question, obviously. You know, if there wouldn't have been kind of this NCAA cloud at UNC, would you have been there? And he never came right out and said yes, but you certainly left with the impression that that was a definite minus when he was making his plus-minus column for UNC. It sure was, yeah, for sure. Just because the uncertainty, you didn't know whether UNC was going to be you know, hit with perhaps a postseason ban, uh, what was going to happen. You know, and I think that was a concern, a genuine concern for Brandon back then was you know, whether, the, whether the Tar Heels were going to be able to play in the postseason in the NCAA tournament. As it turns out, we're still waiting on 
we're still waiting on this thing to develop and just like continue. it's been what six months since it's been they, forever john but, blake already has a job but it's been six months <laughs> since they submitted the new info to the ncaa and they're still waiting on an amended notice of allegations <sighs> after which it will be another 90 days that unc will have to respond i can't imagine unc takes up the full 90 days to respond after it does receive this new noa cannot possibly take another 90 90 days to respond but getting back to ingram Another thing I found interesting today, Laura, we were talking to some of the guys, some of the players. I asked Bryce Johnson, all right? Bryce Johnson, a big man, man in the post. You would think that, like, Ingram might be interested in talking with Bryce on these many visits, that Bryce might have been interested in taking this kid under his wing. And, again, Ingram was at UNC just a ton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, all the time. Like, yeah, all the time. In fact, the running joke, or not really so much of a joke, after he committed to Duke, like a lot of people at UNC were like, oh, I guess he just wanted free tickets to watch some college basketball in Chapel Hill. Which, yeah, I mean, he was there that much and that often. Um, but, yeah, I asked Bryce Johnson today, uh, like, hey, did he form a relationship with this kid? Like, are you tight with him? Is there any kind of dynamic between you all? And Bryce's short answer, he just looked at me and he was like, No. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I was like, I was like, well, you, does that mean you never really talked to him, or you didn't get to know him? And he was like, no, not really. <laughs> and I was like, well, is this common? Like, do you just not get to know recruits who come in on these visits and who are always around the program for years, it, not yeah, just for one years? Year. And it wasn't like Ingram just came a couple times. Right. There was like a stretch there where he was coming to basically like every home game. Right. You know, sitting behind the bench. And uh, yeah, Bryce was just like, well, he was you know kind of a quiet kid and stuck to himself. And we weren't really tight. And I felt like that kind of, I don't know, to me that characterized some element of his recruitment in that perhaps, you know, it never seemed like he was that comfortable there or fit in or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a, a solid observation just because I can't see if you would, you know, if you would ask Emil Jefferson, who of course does not talk to the media while he's hurt, uh, you know, if he had talked to Brandon when he was around, I feel like he would have been like, oh, yeah, sure, you know, definitely. Uh, and and that's kind of brings up a funny point. You know, you think about who Ingram could have connected with at Duke, and so many of those people are gone. Yeah, they're all gone, basically. <laughs> basically right? all gone, yeah. Okafor and Winslow and, and Jones, Jones and, all those and even Quinn Cook. Um, that's right. They're all gone. But, but yeah, no, that is definitely a curious thing for, for Bryce Johnson to say about a guy who was UNC's – Top target, more or less, for, for years. Top target for three years. And Bryce Johnson, and I talked with Marcus Page about this, too. Marcus basically said the same thing. Like, nah, we weren't really tight with him. You know, yeah. We saw him around. Yeah, nice but you would have you thought that, you know, especially with those guys who, who are four-year players and good players for North Carolina, that there would be maybe more of a bond between them. Yeah, and, and I asked Marcus, like, what his level of confidence was when Ingram made the announcement. And it didn't sound like they were tremendously, especially by then. Right. It seemed like they kind of knew. But it didn't seem like there was a tremendous amount of surprise. Right. Or that there was this kind of relationship where they thought that Ingram had really made himself at home in Chapel Hill, despite right. all these visits. Right. It doesn't seem like there was any sense of, oh, I can't believe he chose Duke. Yeah, which, of us. which obviously has not been the case sometimes during those Duke-UNC recruiting battles. I'm thinking of Harrison Barnes and the Skype. When Indeed, and that's one thing that Marcus brought up too. It's like, you know, Duke really wanted Harrison Barnes, and there's kind of that, you know, it's interesting when in this rivalry you have these recruiting battles that come down to one or the other school. Right. And then there's a kid who the fans remember and the coaches remember. It will be interesting for sure to see Brandon Ingram's reception in Chapel Hill. I am very interested to see that. That's kind of one of the things I'm most looking forward to. That will be fun. I was just saying, because earlier this year when UNC played Maryland, they really got on Suleiman. Right. 
Like, they gave him just an awful time. A story came out later on a couple months after that game in the Washington Post just about Rashid Suleiman's reception right. in various road environments, just given the accusations he went through at Duke and some of the nasty stuff that people have said to him. No doubt. And he said the most hostile reception he has received this year came in Chapel Hill for that Maryland-UNC game. But I think it could be pretty hostile for Brandon Ingram. Absolutely. And then next year, to preview what's to come, Harry Giles as well. Harry Giles for sure. But at least I feel like UNC fans will go more lightly or easier on Giles because I Ingram, feel like Ingram was definitely kind of a, a, UNC a pierce fans, to the like, heart. They felt betrayed yeah. by this kid. Which is ridiculous because he's a 17-year-old oh, kid who can make his own decision. But oh, no, it's, no yeah, doubt. It's, it's totally absurd. But like the fan base felt betrayed. Yeah. By this kid. Like, how could he do this to us? And been coming to our games forever and I a believe, lot of a lot of whining about yeah, it. Yeah, I believe what Ingram said, and I thought he said it well, uh, when he announced his decision was that he was choosing his own path, which he certainly has, and the path will take him all the way to the number two pick in the NBA draft this spring. So short yeah, and sweet he, uh, on Tobacco Road. I think he did well. But yeah, you can also debate too, like I mean, honestly, I don't think he would be having statistically as productive a year if he went to UNC. I mean, you and I have talked about this before. Would would Roy Williams even start him? That's a very valid question. Whereas, obviously... He should. Right. But <laughs> like, if you're at UNC, he definitely should be starting. Um, but who's he going to start but over? But I'm not sure who you take out of the starting lineup. Not starting over Justin Jackson. Not going to start over Justin Jackson. Not, Bryce Johnson's going to be starting. Maybe if you adjust your lineup and do not start Kennedy Meeks... In that scenario, Ingram could start, but yeah, that like it's, there's yeah, there's not a lot of room. Ingram certainly would not have been guaranteed to start had he gone to UNC. Which and you throw in that fact, and also the fact that Duke has had success with one and done kids. Mm-hmm. I think that was when it came down to it. I think that might have been the most appealing thing for Brandon. Sure, like seeing Okafor, seeing Winslow, those guys last year do it. Yep, Jabari Parker, Rodney Hood, who's had yeah. a productive early NBA career. And yeah. UNC just has not had that track record. No, of taking one and done kids and putting them in the NBA. No, and before we leave Kinston, Andrew, where we had dinner afterwards was the Boiler Room Oyster Bar. That's right. Yeah. It's quite good. It was legit. Yeah. I think I had some oysters, if I recall. I believe there was some for the table, and I definitely had one as well. Yeah, very delightful meal that day in Kinston. But moving on, getting back on uh, on topic here. Uh, these games are always fun to cover, these Duke-UNC games. They are. Laura, it should be a fantastic atmosphere in the Smith Center. They are. Um, but another thing to watch, as we just talked about in our wildly popular videos, or video, that Do you, you hear can watch. My you can, yeah, you're supposed to be like, yeah, they're really popular. Awesome. Yeah, our wildly popular video. Woohoo! Yeah, we do these wildly popular videos. They get just they break our website, frankly. Pretty much. The number of traffic. All I mean, you people just, that email me insane. about complaints about the websites, it's just because our like videos if you are go so down, popular. like after this thing posts, if you were to go down in like the room where the servers are, it'll just be like smoke. There'll be smoke coming out of the servers from people clicking on our video. That's but the cause of it, huh? As often as they do. <laughs> yeah, just saving McClatchy Co. one video at a time. But in our wildly popular Duke UNC pregame video, Laura, we talked about the depth issue. Yes. Okay. Now, a lot of people have brought up the fact that Duke doesn't really have depth. Yep. Six-man rotation. Yep. Uh, you know, I think what? Did they expand that a little bit, though? No, that was— Chase Jeter played a minute against that's right, Virginia. All right, yeah. I, I think I saw some stuff on Twitter when he got in. 
Yeah. Like, wow. You know, they, they, they try to is going to his bench. They do try to get him a teeny amount of run right before the under 12 timeout normally to, you know, obviously save Marshall Plumley from picking up a dumb, ill-advised foul. Um, but do you think like the lack of depth really matters for uh, for Duke? Does it? I mean, no, it not for this game. Matters, I but think. it kind of doesn't, right? Yeah, like I think I think you saw it matter some more earlier when they were doing these, you know, short little uh, two games and three day turnaround. And, like I think you saw them lose to not a very good Syracuse team at home because they were worn out and you know just had heavy the arms have and won legs. Eight out of nine. But there's and they're still not great. You saw them with Jimmy B back on the bench. I know, but they're still not great. Like that's not a team Duke should be losing to at home. And Gabinji. The silent G. I like going with the G though. Yeah. Gabinji. Well, anyhow, th- you know we can tell we we could, we could do a whole other podcast sometime about pronunciation. Well, I do want to do sometime a podcast about my uh, favorite ACC names of all time. Okay. In which X-ray, X-ray hip, hip X-ray hip would play a very prominent role. Former Maryland. Oh yeah. All name teamer. I still think about X-ray. I wonder what he's up to. But moving on and getting back to the depth issue. You know, it's funny, Andrew. Mike Bray, who was a former Duke assistant under Mike Krzyzewski, had a f- funny comment on Monday in the teleconference. It kind of made me laugh and because it, it could have been said by Mike Krzyzewski. And, you know, Mike Bray said that on game day, depth is like the most overrated thing in basketball. And he's kind of true, especially when you're talking about Mike Krzyzewski and how he likes to play. He believes in playing his best players as often as possible. And it was funny, against Virginia, there was a stretch. When Virginia actually went on like a 19-3 to run in the first half, Anthony Gill and Malcolm Brogdon were on the bench. And I was just kind of laughing because Mike Krzyzewski never would have left those guys on the bench. Just never would have done it because he would have had them out there on the floor. So I think now with Duke playing really well and now that the schedule has given them kind of normal rest – I don't know that depth will be a huge issue in terms of tiredness on Wednesday. One place where it could bite you is in fouls, obviously. You know that, and that's where you had you saw some stuff earlier this year, like at Clemson, Brandon Ingram had four fouls with like 18 minutes left in the second half. Like and that's, that's no be, good. Yeah, that's going to be a big part of uh, Roy's strategy. Yeah. on Wednesday night, he said you mentioned that as as much with us today during his press conference, and that that's going to be a key element for UNC is trying to get those guys into foul trouble. You know. It'd be great for you and see if Ingram all of a sudden has three fouls. Absolutely, because he'll play. Half. He'll play with two fouls in the first half. Mike Shashevsky is not one of those coaches that kind of automatically takes you out with two fouls. But Roy does that. Kay doesn't. And has done that this year. Yeah, but um, obviously Louisville, with its length and size, probably had similar aims for Duke. And Virginia, you know, with its size, probably had similar aims for Duke. But neither team was able to kind of bait the Blue Devils into taking a lot of fouls. So it will be interesting to see how successful UNC can be in that department. Indeed, Laura. All right, so want to wrap this up here soon. Okay. <laughs> what are some keys you think, or what's the number one key you feel like for, for Duke tomorrow night? And I'll provide a UNC key after you provide this glowing insight. You know, I think you can take it at this point, and it's a testament to how well he's played this year. I think you can take it for given – that Grayson Allen will show up and score around 20 points, which is around his average, and will you know be the guy that he's been all year for Duke. He's been by far and away their most consistent player. But I think I think Brandon Ingram's the key. You know I think they need him to be assertive, to play well, to be aggressive. You know in the first half against Virginia when he didn't have a single rebound. Period. You know Mike Krzyzewski got on him at the beginning of the game. Come on, man, like let's go. 
So I think Brandon needs to be kind of fired up and aggressive and ready to go, ready to challenge Bryce Johnson and whoever else he sees from the start. Yeah, Bryce Johnson will be on him, as we talked about in our wildly popular video. And, you know, I think that – I think if you're Duke, I think you hope that Bryce struggles to the point where UNC has to go small and they have to move Justin Jackson over to him and then all of a sudden the Tar Heels, you know, inherent rebounding advantage is not quite as great. Yeah, that is an option for UNC going small, putting Jackson on Ingram. I'm really interested just to see how Bryce holds up in that matchup because he talked with us earlier today just about having to guard Pat Connaughton. Notre Dame's uh, small Who is forward. smaller, but not near as skilled. Smaller, maybe quicker. I don't know. Ingram's terms pretty of just, quick. In terms of just running. I, Ingram's pretty quick. Ingram's pretty quick. Connaughton didn't make it in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to knock Pat Connaughton. It's just, He's you know, good. He Ingram, can ball. Ingram's long um, and lean, and yeah, but the, just different build than Connaughton. For sure. But the point being, just Bryce Johnson just described that experience as miserable. Well, it's probably going to be miserable <laughs> for him Wednesday night. <laughs> like being on the perimeter trying to catch up with that guy and chasing him around screens and doing yeah. this and that and, like, yeah. guarding him off the dribble. Certainly Bryce is much more comfortable defensively in the post match up against a traditional post player who's not out there shooting threes or dribbling or leading a break or sometimes you know sometimes Ingram plays like point guard for those guys against Louisville down the stretch they literally just went to him exclusively they gave him the ball and told him to make plays you know either find teammates or just drive to the basket so yeah uh, it's gonna be tough for Bryce Johnson if Duke is gonna be successful so my key for UNC Laura is just to build on the momentum it created against Pitt and also play a complete game in terms of the contributions from its best players, like Marcus Page. Very umbrella key of you. Justin Jackson. Yeah, but this is something that has rarely happened, right? Like yeah. Jackson and Page have not played all that well together in the same game, hardly at all, especially of late. Like the pick game on Saturday was the first time, or Sunday I should say, first time those guys had played a good game together in the same game in really like more than a month. Jackson's been Jackson's been in double figure scoring, first time since early January. Yeah, that's that's crazy. And, and I think Page went through his awful shooting slump. Yeah. And I bring that up as my key because for UNC to be the UNC team at thought, like those two guys have to be on. Yeah. And here we are in mid February. Still kind of waiting. And it hasn't really happened all that often. And it's kind of like this needs to start happening for these guys to reach their potential. Sure. And they're certainly going to need those guys to be at their peak in March. Yeah, which is so right I around feel the like. Corner. Yeah, I feel like, obviously, this is an important game. UNC really wants to win this game. But even more important, I feel like, is the way the Tar Heels go about winning. And not winning just sloppily and, you know, in ugly fashion. Sure, they'll take that. Sure. I don't know if Duke will give them that, though, but, at this point. Right, I don't either. Yeah, I mean, Duke has been playing a lot better. Um, but I feel like it's time, and if it doesn't start happening now, you kind of have to question when or if it's going to happen. yeah. It's time, I feel like, for UNC just to start hitting on all cylinders. You know who you just sounded like? Like, this is a point it's of the It's time. I don't know. Larry Fedora. It is. Well, right. Exactly. It's time. That's right. Larry Fedora this said that before the 2014 season. When it was not time. It was not time. He did not take my suggestion he was to make early. this year's slogan, it's really time. <laughs> it's really time. And he, it would have been. <laughs> he was a year early. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, that is kind of a cop-out broad umbrella key. Um but, yeah, like that's what I'm kind of most interested to see is whether UNC can play another complete game coming off this pick game. Because UNC played really well on Sunday. Everything outside of offensive rebounding where it finished with a 19-1 to deficit. It's not good, Dino. That's not good. <laughs> but outside of that, played really well. Played yeah. arguably its most complete game since the Maryland game on December 1st. 
But yeah, like even during that 12 game winning streak that ended when UNC went to Louisville and lost, like toward the end of that 12 game winning streak, it was they not playing well. It was not playing very well. No. So here you have, you know, your main rival coming in, nationally televised game. The place is going to be nuts, bonkers, a great environment at the Smith Center. It'll be fun. It's like, can UNC build some momentum toward the future? We shall see. We shall. I'm interested to see what happens at the Smith Center Smith Center on Wednesday night. It should be a lot of fun. Absolutely. We'll be there. Yes, we will. And uh, we'll probably do a short one of these podcasts after that game, a special edition of Amateur Hour, a midnight edition Amateur Hour. Stay it will surely that. be after midnight. After midnight. So stay up for that. You have that to look forward to. But uh, thanks for hanging out, Laura. It's been fun. Anytime, Andrew. It's been a uh, it's been a day of multimedia here. It has. Yep, saving the newspaper business one multimedia project at a time. Right now, can I go write my story? <laughs> Indeed. Well, we'll see you tomorrow. All righty. And for all you out there listening, thank you so much. Appreciate it. We'll see you next time on Amateur Hour. <laughs> <laughs>